Uh, guys, we're in a series called Living Color. I'm about to pray, and then we're going to jump straight in this morning. You guys ready to do that today? You excited? I want to raise the level of, of, of just engagement this morning, the level of faith today, because I really believe whether we're, our size is big or whether our size is small, it doesn't change the reality of who God is and how God moves. And just because we're in a cafeteria filled with pipe and drape doesn't mean that the Spirit of God isn't here and that He doesn't want to move in your life. God wants to move powerfully in your life, and I believe he can do it and will do it right here, maybe even right now. So, Father, be with us as we, as we open the Bible and we begin to learn from the Scriptures. God, help us, Lord, to grow and that our eyes would be open. Lord, that our black and white experience, Lord, would be turned to true living color. Lord, change us. Let's start with us today. Let it begin right here. In the name of Jesus, amen. Last week I was out of town. I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was there for a, a birthday party for a family member, uh, a brother-in-law, and we were friends long before we were actually related, and so it was a, a really great moment for me to get out of town and, and celebrate uh, with a great friend and a great brother. But I have to tell you that there was a part of my trip that I was that I, I I had some apprehension about. And there were people that I was going to see at this party that I had not seen in about 10 years. Now, if you've ever been to a family re, or a, a, a high school reunion or a college reunion, there's always that measure of excitement, but there's also a little bit of anxiety. Like, you want to put your, your best foot forward. You want to look good. You, you want things to come together, you know. And, and some of these people that I had friends with, we'd fallen on even some hard times, if I can say that. You know, there were some ministry wounds that some of us had experienced together, and I wasn't sure how all this was going to go down. I didn't know if it was going to reopen some things and I was going to be stuck in some awkward conversations. <laughs> and so I wasn't looking forward to it. And, and lo and behold, I was imagining in my mind what it was going to be like. And I didn't want to go. I wanted to celebrate the party. I just didn't want to do it with people I hadn't seen in 10 years. And interestingly enough, the party came and... And I have to confess to you that I had such a great time. And we hung out till about 1, 2 a.m. And guess who I had the most fun with? The people that I was most concerned about actually seeing. You know what I'm talking about where you imagine a situation in your mind, but the way it actually plays out in reality is completely different. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we can be our own worst enemies, can we not? Where our imagination runs a little bit wild, and we, we tend to imagine things being far worse than they actually are. Are you tracking with me this morning? Does that make sense today? Because here I was at this party, and I left it, and I felt even just the Holy Spirit reminding me as I left 
that the only perspective and the only way to see and the only way to truly move forward and live this life is to look at things the way Christ Jesus looks at things, to have his eyes on the situation. I needed a fresh perspective. And there are many of us that need a Holy Spirit-inspired, fresh perspective on their life. You need to see what God sees. But instead, you're stuck seeing what only you in your limited flesh can see. I'll give you an example that, that, will, that will maybe make a little bit more sense to you as well. But, you know, we're, we're in this series called Living Color. And when the first movies began to use Technicolor in the 20s and 30s, there was an outcry from movie insiders and TV insiders because their greatest fear in this transition was that the whole movie process was going to be ruined. That somehow by moving to, to color, we were going to lose the essence and heartbeat of true film and true cinematography. And now in 2017, you can hardly even imagine watching a movie not in color. The technology is beyond belief. It looks like, I mean, your living room is the real Rogue One battlefield. I mean, it's just, it, technology has come such a, a long way. And my point in saying this is that their fears were unfounded. Their perspective was incorrect. Their vantage point was wrong. And sometimes as we look at life, when you look at your marriage, your perspective needs some updating, doesn't it? When you look at work, when you look at your, 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 your financial, just the financials of your life, how often do we panic over money? And what do we need more than anything? It isn't just more money, even though sometimes that can be really nice. What you need is to be able to look at your situation the way God is looking at your situation. That's what you need. And so this morning, we're going to do just that. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to be in the Old Testament today. I remember, I laugh about this with people in the church. Here, here's another perspective problem I had. I was convinced. If anybody's got a phone, you know, some of you have Bibles here today, but most of you are probably, if you're reading the Bible, you're doing it on a phone. And when the Bible app first came out, the YouVersion Bible app, I laughed. I thought nobody's going to read the Bible on their phone. These people are crazy. What a waste of money and resources. Meanwhile, it has become the single most downloaded app in the world. True story. I was way off. But I was convinced. I was so sure. Who possibly would want to read the Bible digitally on their phone? Nobody. Only everybody does. Okay, 2 Kings 6. We're talking about perspective and, and God helping us see properly today. <clears throat> Here we are in 2 Kings 6, verse 8 through 14. I'm going to read a little bit. 
So you're going to have to track with me for a second, okay? It says, The king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. So the man of God, this is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Hey, psst, beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Okay, so a little context here. We've got the king of Aram and the king of Israel. They're at war with each other. And the king of Aram has his war cabinet, and they're strategizing, and they're making these plans, and they're setting all of these traps. But the crazy thing is, is that the king of Israel keeps avoiding, in the last minute, all of these traps that have been set out and laid for him. And so the natural conclusion that the king of Aram has is that he has a mole. Jack Bauer, 24 style. We've got a double agent in the midst. Which one of you is playing both sides? Because your time is coming to an end. And the guys in his war cabinet say, it's not us. I'm telling you right now, there's a prophet in Israel, and he hears everything we're talking about, even everything that you're saying in your bedroom. Okay. Now, there's all kinds of ramifications to, to that. But understand, what's going on in the emotions and in this, the story here. And so they find out where Elisha is. So instead of going to attack Israel, the king gets all of his people together. He says, where the shbleep is Elisha? We're about to find him. I'm going to kill him. And then I'm going to get back to my business. And so they do what little punks love to do. He gets all of his people, and he comes in the cover of night. And he surrounds where Elisha is sleeping and where Elisha is staying with his servant. And we're going to get to the, the implications of the story and the rest of it here in just a moment. But I want to just even provide some further context for you. Because even before we get to seeing the way God would have you see, I want you to understand how the enemy works oftentimes in your life. Because it's in the moments where you're trying to rest and you're trying to relax and you're, you know, you're, you, you, you've got home from work. It's in the evening time. It's when the sun goes down and, and the cover of darkness begins to take place that the enemy begins to work his magic. It's why so many people fall into sin when the sun goes down and the moon comes up because there is something about how Satan works in the cover of darkness. 
And I know in my own life, it's when I'm laying in bed that I have the, the, the thoughts, the discouragement, the despair, the fear that begins to plague me. It's in the evening time when we're trying to get the kids down for bed and, and you're tired and you're exhausted and you get snappy with one another. It's amazing how that doesn't happen during the day when I'm working. It happens at night. Now, I'm not saying that the only time you're ever tempted is in the evening. But what I am saying is that there is, there is something about, I mean, Satan's been around a long time. He's not dumb. He's a punk, but he isn't dumb. And he knows how to work, and he knows when to work. And he is crafty. He's a crafty little serpent. Do you like that? He's a crafty little serpent. You can take that to the bank. Okay. I think about even church, church planting. Doesn't it? You've heard the phrase, one step forward, how many steps back? One step forward, two steps back. You see, it's amazing when things begin to move. You've got some breakthrough. You got some victory. There's some good things finally happening. Oh, it's like, you know, the tin man who finally gets some oil and begins to come back to life. Your marriage has some, some WD-40 in the joints and it's feeling good again. And, and the enemy, in his wisdom, comes and he begins to work and he begins to take his hammer and take his tools. and He isolates you and he wants you to get out on yourself and, and, and out by yourself and he's smart and he's wise and he does it when you're least expecting it. Just like he does in this story here. Here, Elisha and his servant are resting. And who is circling the camp? In the same way, it can feel like the enemy is circling your life, whether it's your marriage or your job. It can feel overwhelming at times. And so 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6, 15, the servant comes out, and he sees all of the enemy around him. And he says, oh no, my Lord, what, what shall we do? Which is exactly how you would act. If you walked outside of your house and there was just a whole circle of guys on horses and chariots ready to try to whoop you, you would despair, would you not? You'd open the door and then you would shut the door. <laughs> and you'd say, oh my God, what are we going to do? It's just me versus all these people. I want you to hear this because this is how many of us feel, is it not? This is the perspective that we have on life. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody is dealing with the situation I'm dealing with. Nobody's trying to parent the kind of kids I have. Nobody has the financial disparity that I'm dealing with right now. Nobody knows the health problems I have. And it feels like you against the entire circled encampment of the enemy. Does it not? course it does. And that's exactly how Satan would love for you to think. That's the perspective he wants you to have. I was debated on whether to share this story or not. 
I was in Nashville and riding a bike with flip-flops. Mistake number one. Been a long time since I've ridden a bike. And, you know, I did the whole stand up while I was pedaling because I was really trying to whoop my son, who was also on a bike next to me. I was already whooping him, but I was going to really whoop him because sometimes your eight-year-old needs to be put in his place by his father. Well, my flip-flop got tangled on this pedal, and I'm going down a hill. And my foot goes through, and it hits the concrete. And when I say that my toe basically imploded, okay, she, she's bothered by this. Because I went into the house of Amy's parents, and you know, you guys know this, especially women, or if you're married to a husband, the more quiet your husband is, the more serious it is. And I got into the kitchen and I said, honey, I need the first aid kit as quickly as possible. I'll be out on the deck. Thank you. So I go out to the deck and she brings the first aid kit. I debated even bringing the picture. It's too bad. It's too, you would be, there was more blood than you can possibly imagine. It's been a long time since I've bled this much. I had to take scissors and begin to cut a portion of my big toe off on the deck. Like a man, okay? Like a man. Yeah, you go ahead. That's right. Come on, men. Come on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There was some alcohol, there was some peroxide, and there was some, uh, some suture scissors, and I went to work. Okay? <laughs> then I got home. Then I got home. And literally, I'm trying to be a, a nice husband to Amy, my wife. I'm carrying this laundry basket of clothes. That, I mean, we have, we have four children. You can only imagine how much clothes and laundry we have all the time. And we have these hardwood steps. I've already got an injured toe, so I'm being a little bit ginger with it. And so I, I step down onto the first step. Bam, my feet go out. And I fall all the way down the stairs. Okay? You can clap again. It was graceful. Now... I mean, I didn't say anything inappropriate because I'm a pastor, you know. <laughs> that kind of stuff doesn't happen. There, I didn't lose my temper. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say anything that I might possibly be embarrassed about. No, I would never do such a thing. But I'm telling you right now, it's one of those moments where it's like me against the world. God, are you even real anymore? I'm losing my toe. I'm breaking my back. Where are you? Come on here. For the love. Now we laugh about it. And I can seriously laugh about it right now. But you got to hear me because there are a lot more serious things that we're dealing with. And it feels exactly the same way. God, I am not seeing you anywhere in any of this. What is your problem? What is your deal? Will you ever show up? Will you help me here for the love? Where are you? And this is the perspective Satan loves when you and I feel this way. Because what happens, the feeling that begins to take over and dominate more than anything else is fear. Because when you're living your life without God, there's only one way to get through everything, and that's in your own strength. 
And when it's in your own strength, it's easy to become fearful, isn't it? Fearful in your marriage. Fearful with trying to raise your children. Fearful about what's next. Fearful about a living. Fearful about death. Fearful about so many things. I'll confess to you, when, when Satan is having his way with me, one of the biggest fears that I have to wrestle with is the fear of insignificance. That's what he comes and knocks on my door about. It's me against everybody else. And men tend to, to handle it differently than women, but, but, but men, our instinct is to fight and attack when we feel afraid. And we were, Amy and I were talking about this morning. Women, now this is a generalization, I realize this, but in general, if an intruder comes to your home, and if you're married here today, women have an instinct to do one thing. What is it? I heard it right over here. Go get the kids. Go get the kids. Like, I'm going to protect. I'm going to do everything that I can do. What does the man generally do? I'm going to get my gun, and I'm going to go shoot somebody in my house, or I'm going to get a lead pipe, and I'm just going to start swinging. Now, that's a generalization, and I'm not making light of it, and nor, am I, nor is it this sexist thing here, but these are the, the typical dispositions that men and women find themselves in, which is why if you're married here today, and your husband is dealing with something, oftentimes you'll hear a wife say, I feel like you're mad at me. I feel like, are you angry with me? No, I'm not angry with you, but I'm angry with the situation. And I don't know how to, I, don't, I need something to fight because that's what men like to do. And so here we've got two guys stepping out of the camp, surrounded by the enemy in despair. Is, is doing its thing. What are we going to do? And I love Elisha's response. Because it's neither protect, it's neither attack, it's neither control, it's not go cuss, it's not go kick, it's not pitch a fit. The answer is to trust God. Chapter 6, 16, and 17, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he could see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Amazing story. First off, you can see without really seeing. You should remember that, that your eyes can play tricks on you. That what you see in the natural is not what is happening in the supernatural. That just because it looks a particular way, that doesn't mean that's God's perspective. That doesn't mean that's what God sees. Sometimes we need to pray, God, would you open their eyes? Or God, would you open my eyes so that I can see what you see? Because there are plenty of times where the enemy is circling around me, and what I need to do is see God circling around the enemy. But oftentimes, I get afraid, and I begin to look at my situation, and the enemy begins to win because I'm putting my eyes on my circumstances rather than on the one, the one who was with me. Fear would have you set your eyes on the problems surrounding you rather than the God that is with you. 
One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he is the perfect fulfillment of what's happening here in 2 Kings. You have a Lord and Savior who is with you at all times. Whether you see it or not, that is not the issue. And when you feel backed up against the wall, you need to remember something. You serve a God who is bigger. You serve a God who is greater. You serve a God who is stronger. And just because you can't see him does not mean that he is not at work. God, open our eyes. God, fill me with your spirit. God, help me to see. There's a writer in the New Testament. His name is Paul. And he writes in Romans chapter 8. My favorite verses in the Bible. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously Give us all things. If God is for us, who on this crazy earth can possibly, in their right mind, be against us? I'm going to say this again. If God is for us, who can be against us? The implication isn't that there isn't anybody against you or anything or any forces against you. The implication there is that God is so big and he is so great that his greatness makes everything else look so tiny. It's nothing. It's a blip on the radar. Who is it that would somehow come to make an accusation against God's sons and daughters? Who dare would approach the throne of God? Who would, would dare try to approach the saints and begin to peck and rob and steal, kill and destroy? Who dares try to do such a thing? If God is for you, who can be against you? I'm telling you right now, nobody, no thing, no situation, no circumstance. See, the father of lies would have you believe that you're doing this by yourself. And it would have you, he would have you see in black and white. But there is another way to see. There's technicolor. There is living color where you are seeing God around you, chariots of fire moving on your behalf. Where your soul and your spirit is sensitive to the spirit of God. Maybe you're not literally seeing angels, but you're not fooled by the enemy anymore. You see him for who he is. Boy, he'd love for you to be stuck doubting. He'd love for you to be stuck being afraid. Insecure. Isolated. But that's not the God that we serve. with this 
And we have these big trees in our front yard. Big tall ones. And two of them completely cover up the whole house. Front yard. You can't, no sun's getting through. No grass will grow in the front yard. So we had them cut down. We brought all, all about a half a million dollars worth of equipment to our yard and just began to work and cut down these two big trees. I've never seen them actually do it in person, but after they'd cut the trees down, they took a water break, then they came back and they began to work and they had this big saw and they would begin to just take it on down into the grass or what was pathetically called grass. I'm like, what are they, what are they doing? And they're cutting roots because this tree had these roots that were just taking up the yard. Some of them were on top of the ground, some of them were underneath, and they just dug those things out. They still have some work to do, but they got rid of the majority of them. And I thought, I looked at it and I thought, man, you, there's so many of us. Satan, we know, we understand in Christianity that Satan has been defeated, that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the reigning son of God, and he is victorious. He rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death for you and me. And yet, while that sacrifice is enough, many of us still live with roots in our yard. Roots of fear that are beginning to just trickle around and, and we have a difficult time trusting God. Well, we can trust Him for salvation, but can we trust Him for our job? Can we trust Him for a spouse? Can we trust Him in our marriage? Can we trust Him with our church? Can we trust Him and see what He wants us to see? Stories like this that remind me that yes, we can. And sometimes the only thing you need to do is ask. Ask, the Bible says, and you will receive. And so this morning, we're just going to take a moment. I know I'm running out of time. I don't care. This is significant. It's important for you. It's important for me. Sometimes there are messages that I preach and you know, I, I, I've got this down pretty good. And then there are other messages I preach where I'm in the middle of learning it myself. I'm wrestling with the tension in my own soul. And seeing the way God sees is something I will always have to fight in my life and you as well to do. So stand to your feet this morning. You don't have to respond right now. You might be sitting here. We're a young church, and because we're a young church, it's easy uh, sometimes where, where people are coming from different denominations or different faiths, or maybe you're literally sitting here and you aren't sure if Jesus is who he says he is, and you haven't put your faith in him yet. That's okay. We invite you to be here. We invite you to ask the tough questions. Do not be afraid and do not be shy. But if you are here this morning 
And you know God is trying to give you a fresh perspective that you would see differently. Then this morning we're asking for God to open our eyes. And I'm not asking for him to gradually do it. I'm not asking him to open your eyes so that you can see in a a week or two or three weeks from now or the process. No, I'm asking right now. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, the name of the Son of God, the one who died for our sin, the one who is for us and not against us, God, we're asking that you would help open our eyes today by the spirit of the living God, we ask that you would open our eyes so that we can see you, so that we can feel you and know you and sense you at work. If that is you today, I want you just to raise your hands. If you need God to give you a fresh perspective, that he needs to just open your eyes to see him at work. It could be your relationships. It could be your job. It could be your neighbor. It doesn't matter what it is. Raise your hands. Let's ask God. Sometimes when we raise our hands, it's nothing more than an act of supplication, like a little child to a father. And so this morning, raise your hands and let's ask God to move. Father, open our eyes today. Help us to see you, God. God, when our back is up against the wall and the enemy is at work, help us not to despair, but to see you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for giving us vision and clarity to see today boldly in the name of Jesus. Open our eyes, God. If you're standing here today and you're ready to to put your faith in Jesus, you're sitting here and it isn't about a situation. It's about who is Lord and Savior of your life. I want you just to just pray. Pray this with me. Say, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. This morning, I put my faith in him as my Lord and my Savior. I believe today that Jesus is who he says he is. Fill me with your Holy Spirit.